Hello and welcome to Digital Photo Magazine's weekly podcast, covering everything you need to know about the world of digital photography. My name is Matty Graham, I'm managing editor at the magazine, and with me as always is our technical editor, Matt Higgs. Hello. So Higgsy, what have you been up to? What have I been up to? Uh, well, kind of this last week, I took the opportunity to go through some of my archives and um, to go back and edit some shots which have never seen the light of day. Interesting. Um, so yeah, I usually, you know, I'm busy, I'm out shooting something different every week, but sometimes, you know, uh, you kind of rush your process in and you do a few of your favourites and then you never look at the shots again. So Very true. Um, I decided to go and have a look at some of the old stuff I've shot and actually find some new favourites uh, and it's quite surprising some of the shots that I never even thought to process before <laughs> and, and now some of my favourites so it's, it's bizarre So what was the the one shot that you made the whole process worthwhile? Um, I did some uh, street portraits yeah. uh, a little while back and um, I edited up a few of them I think it was for a video for, yeah. uh, for the magazine um, but there was there were a few in there a few interesting characters and stuff that I'd never really um, bothered to process up and there, there's some, some nice portraits in there so yeah I think that's uh, they're my favourite shots I stumbled across good stuff good stuff so I've been really busy too I was out and about scouting locations for future shoots and I stumbled upon a really cool um, old it's it's an air traffic control tower and it's on a disused airfield which is which is now a forest actually um, and it's open to the public and this got me thinking about urban exploration mm. um, so what's your take on the genre and have you ever partaken in some urban X? Um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've obviously got to be careful because there's <laughs> about what we recommend and what we say. Here, <laughs> there's a few um, legal issues. There's a few there? legal issues, but um, no, I'm quite a fan of it. You know, there are some absolutely stunning places that are kind of hidden away and yeah. closed off. And, um, you know, some of them are actually quite accessible, but people just don't tend to visit them. And a, a lot of these places, you know, it's it's fascinating how, how these different locations that were once full of life are now just sat there rotting away and yeah. kind of being taken over by uh, by nature once more. And um, I, th I think they can be fantastic places to get some really cool shots uh, or as settings for perhaps a portrait shoot or something like that. So um, Absolutely. I quite like it. I quite enjoy it. Well, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Urban X doesn't have to be a legal Urban X, does it? You know, you can do it well within the law. Yeah. Didn't you go on... I have this vague memory of you doing something in Birmingham with an old museum or something like that. No, so th this is something that I follow, but it's... Um, it's not um it's it's not something i actually did but right. um it's something I, I always keep an eye on so i'm trying to think of the name of the project it's something like hidden city or yep. um, birmingham uh, urban explorers or something like that if you you google along those terms i'm sure you'll find yeah. it but um what they were doing was they were opening up a lot of um of old spaces uh, that are usually closed off to the public um but but absolutely fantastic location. So I think they did um, one of the old banks in Birmingham and you could go down into the wow. vaults and check it out or you could see like the workings of the town hall clock or something like yeah. that. Um, and I think there's a few of these schemes um, that are kind of running. So that, that was one in Birmingham that I was checking out. But um, I think there's a few similar ones in London as well where occasionally you can go down and check out um, disused tube stations and things like that. Yes, well, um, it's funny you should mention that. That's, the, that's the, one of the things I have done is um, it was actually... A press event for Canon, I believe, as right. I remember. It was a couple of years ago. We went down into uh, Aldwych uh, Tube Station, which is basically, you know, it was closed down and it hasn't been touched since. Yeah. And it's where they filmed uh, V for Vendetta. Oh, nice. I love that film. Yeah. And you know, all these amazing sort of tunnels. And actually, it's where they hid all the important artworks 
during the Second World War when London was being you know bombed mercilessly. Keep them safe, like. Uh, exactly. Um, and there's so many different. You know, we were being sort of guided around, but it would have been so easy to take a wrong turn <laughs> and yeah. end up, you know, sort of lost in this maze Never of tunnels. Never to be seen again. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but it is the most incredible place, and I think to like hire hire that place out, it's thousands of pounds. Mm. Um, so not. A lot of people get to go down there and, and check it out, but I, I think that they do run the odd sort of day where you know it is affordable. You can sort of buy tickets and be shown about. Yeah. There's a lot of steps down. There's no lift. There's, there's something, I, I suppose, it's a bit like you know any exploration or any kind of archaeologist that finds a, an Egyptian pyramid buried in the sand or something like that. There's something special about seeing these kind of places which no one's seen or walked in for yes. you know, years and years. It's, um, it's quite special. The, the time capsules, aren't they? Well, that, Amazing. That one especially, because you know we'd sort of taken the tube to get to this location, then all of a sudden we were in another tube station, jumping down onto the line, sort of walking about, all <laughs> that sort of stuff. So it did mess with your mind a little bit but it was a really enjoyable time and you know as i say if you want to get into urban exploration there are ways to do it legally so just you know do some research and check out There's what's some in your really area good websites and forums yeah. dedicated to it lots of great advice about what you what you should and shouldn't do so <laughs> yeah definitely worth checking out good stuff so let's talk about something else now we put a post up on facebook the other day basically we cleaned out a desk which doesn't happen very often in our office um, and discovered a massive memory card that held a grand total of four megabytes. So that wouldn't be, let's just put this in perspective, four megabytes. That wouldn't be one file from a D800 <laughs> or D810, would it? No. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. So this got us thinking um, about how fast digital photo gear has advanced and how much better it is for when, you know, we all f- first started out. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, we sort of uh, put up a picture and it was a 4 meg card, massive, next to a 16 gig uh, card, SD card, which was tiny. And we worked out there was 4,000 times more capacity on this little SD card. And, you know, that's in the space of, what, 10 years? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've even got a micro SD that can do 256 gig. Yeah. And I mean, that that is literally the size of your little fingernail. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it's mental. First first computer I ever owned had a hard drive of, uh, I think it was like 30 gig. <laughs> that was a massive thing, you know? So, oh, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, this this got us uh, thinking. So what's the, what's the oldest bit of tech you've got? You know, hidden away in Higgs Towers. <laughs> the oldest bit of tech I've got. Well, um, the first camera I ever shot was a, a Sony. So I was really lucky in being able to pick up a load of old uh, Minolta glass and yeah. to use that on my camera. So I've got a few Minolta lenses kicking around. Um, I've also got some old Polaroid cameras. Um, so obviously analog uh, photography, instant photography has come back into fashion. Yeah. Um, and I've still got a few old Polaroid cameras which, which will take the Impossible Project 600 style film. Wow. Um, so I chuck them in there and you know I take a few shots and that and I, I mean I don't know how old they are probably probably 15 20 years I should think at least yeah um and they're a lot of fun and then um, you know a lot of these items you can go on eBay pick them up really cheap and um yeah go out there and uh, work on some creative projects good stuff what about got, you well I've got a little test for you a little quiz oh god because um <laughs> I've got hidden away is um well first of all I've got a 256 megabyte card obviously nothing like the 4 megabyte card we found but I do have my old Canon 10D, uh, which is an APS-C camera. Um, it's coming up to about 15 years old, actually, about 2002-2003. Uh, nowadays, it's essentially a paperweight. It still works, though. Um, but I want you to try and guess the megapixels. Off the top of my head. Yeah. Ooh, um, 
I'm going to go for eight. Close. Very close. Was it close? 6.3. I was going to go for six. And, and we've got, you know, we've got a cannon arriving in the office this week that is 50 meg, megapixels. You yeah. Know, that yeah. is just insane. So in the space of, you know, 13 years, we've got from six to 50. Imagine what it's going to be like in the next 10 years. You know, you know what the argument is though, Matt? It's not the megapixels, it's how you use them. You <laughs> <know>. <laughs> Very good. But, you know, the more megapixels, the more you can crop. True. And, you know, that, that gets you out of a lot of holes, especially with your composition, Higgsy. <laughs> so, oh, all right, one more question on the 10D. Guess the number of focus points that it's got. See, I don't know whether to go for one or something like five here. Uh, I'll go for five. Seven. Seven? Wow, it's more than a four. 10D was well <laughs> ahead of its time, wasn't it? Well ahead of its time. I oh, know A brilliant camera, though. I mean, you know, I, I look back and, all right, it's essentially now a piece of sort of junk. But at the time, it was fantastic. It got me into sort of digital photography, and it was brilliant in its day. Uh, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to look back at, you know, Canon's 5DSR and go, no, it's paperweight. The thing is, though, sometimes it's nice to go back and use those old yep. bits of technology and kind of it forces you to perhaps shoot in a slightly different way to the way that you normally would. Absolutely. And, we you wouldn't know, crop um, so much, would you? Exactly. Yeah, so sometimes it's quite nice to go back and um, yeah, to try a different way of shooting again. Good stuff. Okay, should we do a bit of news? Go for it. Okay, so there isn't a huge amount of gear news about now in the run-up to Christmas and Christmas parties and drinking at Christmas parties and <laughs> all of that sort of stuff. But one product we neglected to talk about last week when we were talking about some other Nikon kit was uh, Nikon's new 19mm f4 tilt-shift lens. Now, if you're not familiar with tilt-shift lenses, they're special optics that effectively bend perspective. This is really useful to correct anomalies such as converging verticals, which are common when you shoot you know, a tall building with a wide-angle lens. Now, these optics aren't cheap, and the Nikon 19mm will set you back £3,299, yeah. which is a lot of money. It's it's on sale now. Have you had a chance to look at this lens and see what I've, it's all I've about? I've not tried it out uh, myself yet. I, yeah, I've kind of had a look down the specs and stuff. Um, I think for me, it'd be a lot of money for me to uh, to create those kind of miniature-looking uh, landscapes in, uh, yeah. in towns, which is probably what I'd end up using <laughs> for more than anything. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's professional optic, isn't it? It is, and you know, I mean, it is a lot of money, but it's 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 got the most amazing sort of latest coatings that Nikon can offer, and all of that stuff. Um, but you know, I guess the story from this isn't that a new lens is out and it's really expensive. It's that you can own, you can try this lens out by renting it. That's what I'd suggest. Mm. If you've never used a tilt shift lens and you want to try one, then the perfect thing to do is rent one for say forty, fifty pounds for the day. Um, if you like it, great. You might want to spend some big money. If not, you've had a brilliant experience. You'll have some unique images. Yeah. So go hire a camera. I think this is the thing uh, with renting full stop, isn't it? You know, yeah. if you're looking at kind of perhaps investing in some professional glass, who's going to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds without ever trying the thing? You yeah. Know, even if you uh, you buy a car, you take it out on a test drive first, don't you? Exactly. So um, you know, if you're going to spend fifty, hundred, hundred and fifty pounds, uh, perhaps you know, renting one of these optics and trying them out, at least you'll know then whether it's the the piece of glass for you or not you know exactly okay that's news over let's talk about the free gifts that come with the december issue of digital photo so this is out for another sort of week and a half ish you still got time to grab it because it's got some free lightroom mono presets a free 2017 uh, calendar templates kit 
a free ice reflection kit and a free autumn borders kit. I mean, any out of autumn, so you better hurry up with this. You get all this plus a CD with over 70 minutes of video lessons for just 4 99 And if you head over to greatmagazines.co.uk forward slash DP, you can take out a subscription, get the magazine delivered direct to your door, and it costs you just £3.15 per issue. Bargain. Bargain. Good stuff. Should we do some reader questions? Yeah, let's go for it. Good stuff. So, we, we try and answer as many sort of camera conundrums and photo problems that you guys have. But, you know, rest assured that every email sent in gets gets answered. But we've got three uh, of the better ones for you now. And the first one comes from Lucy via email. And she says, can you recommend a decent roller bag? I think you've probably used more roller bags than me. It's um, it, not something I've ever kind of invested in, although I have tried a few out. I know there's some really nice um, low-pro ones and uh, some Manfrotto ones and stuff. Yeah. What, what do you recommend? Well, it used to be the case that um, you know there wasn't that many on the market. But all of a sudden, um, bag manufacturers seem to have caught on that you know roller bags... They have some brilliant uses, you know, if you're at a conference or at a wedding, you don't always want to be lugging about a heavy camera bag, because it really does take the weight, literally take the weight off your shoulders. Um, so there's tons of roller bags now where, you know, if you haven't seen a roller bag, it's essentially, you know, the two shapes really, usually a square uh, sort of bag or a rucksack. Uh, but the kicker is, is that they have wheels on the bottom, a handle that pulls up, and you can pull them through the sort of conference hall, anything like that. It's far easier if you're doing a bit like that. Like little suitcases, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, exactly. Um, so I have got some recommendations. The there's th- about three different styles, and I'm going to uh, give a recommendation for each of them. So I mentioned first of all that there is. Um, Almost like a rucksack with wheels. This is the sort of, I guess, the entry-level aspect of um, roller bags. And the one I'd recommend for this is a Tenba uh, shootout. And it's a really cool bag. I think it's made in America. And um, it is harder to get over in the UK. Uh, American listeners will will be able to get one easy. But these days, you have to sort of do some digging to to find one of these. Mm. They're not that cheap, but they are incredibly well-built. And they're really, really useful. And the thing is... What you can do is, if you don't want to use it as a roller, just pick it up, put it on your shoulders, use it as a uh, a rucksack. Yeah. But if it's getting a bit heavy, dump it down, pull up the handle, drag it along, sorted. Cool. So the next one I'm going to recommend is the Low Pro Pro Roller Attaché 50, and this is like a tiny sort of uh, square. It's like it's more like a sort of you know a suitcase that you take f- for one night only sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and this comes with um, a bag built into the to the roller so you can take that out use it as a separate bag it pops up you can slide another bag on top of the sort of handle if you like and this is as i say perfect for you know maybe one two nights away with your camera gear and the final one i'm going to recommend is from a brand called nanu have you ever heard of nanu <laughs> nanu 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 <laughs> and they're an american brand and what they do is they offer really good bags um but they don't cost that much. They're really affordable, really good value. And their U220 model is the roller that they do, and it's 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 brilliant. I took this thing to Lofferden, actually, and um, dragged it around. You know, it was banging all, all against the sort of uh, getting in and out of planes. It survived. It survives, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, as well, when we delayed, best thing, there was no seats. You could sit on the bag. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> really useful and uh, really good value as well. I think that's around sort of like, I want to say like $200, but don't sort of quote me on that. It might have gone, up, might have gone down. But it's it's a brand that not many people know about and it might be worth investigating if, if you want to follow that route. Yep. So three recommendations, Lucy. Hopefully one of those will fit the bill. 
Alright, uh, the next one comes from Bill. <laughs> that was random. Good segue. <laughs> this guy's name is Bill. And he's, he sent us an email saying, I have a problem. I think I have a problem with my Canon. I keep getting an error 99 message on the screen. What does it mean? Um, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, I, I shoot Nikon predominantly, so I'm not that uh, kind of um, uh, clued up on what yep. all the different um, Canon uh, error messages uh, mean. Um I think this is a problem I might have had once, and I think um, taking the lens off and on the body a couple of times might have might have sorted it out, but I'm not sure. Matt, you're a Canon shooter. Yep, you bang on, Higgsy. It is uh, a problem that... Basically, it's the, it's the camera telling you that it can't communicate with the lens. And this is often down to the contacts. So you know on your lens and on your body, if you take them apart and um, have a look at them, you'll see those... They look like, um, I guess, sort of metal bits. And, you know, the sort of thing you have on an SD card if you turn it upside down. Yeah. And that's the communication link between the body and the lens. And often over time, um, Bill hasn't said what camera he's got, but I'm suspecting it's an older camera. You know, those can get worn and then they can stop sort of communicating. Or you can get some dust trapped in beneath, uh, in, betwe- in between them rather. So um, that can stop the lens and the camera communicating, and it just won't focus, and you won't actually be able to tell uh, to take a shot because the camera will be going, "Oh, what? There's a problem here. I need to tell I you about it." Sometimes, if you haven't quite twisted the lens, I'm that's right. Fitting it as well, you know. Sometimes it feels like it's clipped into place, yeah, but it's still got a little bit more give, yeah. or uh, you know, perhaps it's it's just gone a little bit too far. Take it off, put it back on again, and uh, just line up those contacts again. I exactly. Think, I think that was my problem. And, and for older mounts that are probably worn, you know, that it might take a couple of attempts to sort of lock it into place. Mm. Uh, but the good news is, Bill, that you should be able to sort this problem, clean up your contacts, take it off a few times, uh, and if you still have problems, you know, take it to a service centre if you want to, and they'll be able to fix it for you. So we've got a, l- a last question. This one comes from Nigel, and he says, um, what sort of triggers will help me use off-camera flash? Well, Higgsy, that's your department. I'll let you take this one. Yeah, so um, there are lots of different radio triggers uh, which are perfect for off-camera flash, and they really do kind of vary in price. So um, I think the first set that I ever brought was by a brand called Pixel, yeah. um, and I think you can get them from a company called UK Highland in the UK. And um, you in know, the Highlands, maybe? <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I think they are probably Scotland-based. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no, you can pick up a basic set for you know twenty, thirty pounds. I think Calumet do some own brand ones as well. Uh, possibly Jessup's, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But you don't have to spend a fortune to really um, try your hand at using, um, you know, kind of off-camera flash triggers. You know, they they don't they don't cost a fortune. Yeah. But you know, if you want um, sets which are, are going to allow high-speed sync and um, lots of different channels and some of the more advanced features, then um, you've got Pocket Wizards and brands like that, which you know they might cost sixty. 100, 150, 200, 300 pounds. Yeah. You know, they do really kind of go up in price, but you're going to get more kind of stable connections and uh, greater distances from which you can trigger these, uh, the, the flash from. So, um, yeah, it kind of depends on your budget, but um, there are sets available from 20, 30 pounds, which will do the job perfectly. Exactly. That's some great advice, Higgsy. I think what this shows is that there is a radio trigger for every budget. Definitely. Good stuff. So we're going to do a Photoshop tip of the week. We haven't done one of these for no, a few we weeks. Haven't. And this one is dedicated to Brian, who called up the office earlier. Yeah. And, and we helped him out with uh, a problem. He wanted to get a border uh, around his image. 
and there's a really quick way to add a white or black border in literally a matter of seconds. And I think you could do this technique in less than 10 seconds. Less than 10 seconds. Less than 10 seconds. So all you need to do is open up your image in Photoshop and select all of the pixels. So this, uh, you press Control and A to select all the pixels. Then enter the free transform mode by pressing Control and T. That'll bring up a bounding box and have some corner handles. And all you need to do is press uh, Alt and Shift and drag the corners inwards. And what that will do will keep your image in perspective, but reveal a white border behind it. Hit Enter to execute the changes, and that's it. All done. That's pretty quick. So if you want a black border instead, all you need to do is reverse the colors in your palette, follow the same procedure, so, you know, click Control and A to select the pixels, enter the free transform mode with Control and T. When the bounding box appears, hold Alt and Shift, drag the corners inwards, and then hit Return. It is one of the most simplest things you can do. But actually, you know, it got me thinking because adding a border to an image can have a really dramatic effect, can't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. And it's something actually that could be quite useful when you go to um, frame your prints. Quite often I'll, I'll print right to the edge of a page. Yes. I'll drop it into a frame and then all of a sudden my composition looks slightly different because sure. I didn't allow for the frame. Yeah. So um, it can also be quite useful for that, making sure that your images look exactly how you want when you then chuck them into a frame. Good stuff. Well, I hope Brian's listened to this and he, he, he gets on all right and he, he manages to do his border on his image. Good stuff. Well, that's pretty much all we have time for now, but we'll be back at the same time next week. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a show, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Yeah.